welcome back to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. This week on the show, we have Nathan Parnham, author of The Sporting Parent. Nathan is the Director of Strength and Conditioning at Brisbane Grammar School. And before we start episode 51, the Prepare Like a Pro mission is to empower aspiring athletes and staff with practical knowledge with some of the industry's most inspiring individuals and to strengthen the AFL community. If you like the show, please show your support by following us on Instagram and by subscribing to the podcast. We're on YouTube, iTunes, and Spotify. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Remember, if you want to post a question for Nathan, hit the question button at the bottom of your screen where um, we'll get to a Q&A later on in in the chat. I'm just going to send my request over to you, Nathan, now, so... Hey Nate. Hey man, how are you? Going well, mate. Thanks for jumping on. No, no worries at all. Appreciate the invite. Looking forward to it. That was a smooth transition. One of the best ones, I reckon. <laughs> I'd say that'd be my best as well, mate. So we're off to a good start. <laughs> we're off to a great start. I'm sure it'll continue. Well, we'll dive straight into the beginning, mate. Uh, when did you discover you had a passion for, for strength and conditioning? Yeah, so I, uh, when I finished school, a lot of my mates kind of started uni straight off the bat because their parents expected them to and that was considered the norm. But for me, my parents never really pushed that barrier or that boat, so to speak. So um, I took a year off after school and didn't really know what to do with myself. And then the year after that, I ended up taking up a, uh, a certificate three, four in business management at TAFE because... I wasn't sure uh, where I wanted to go and I kind of thought if there's one kind of degree that would be applicable across a variety of different areas, then a business degree would be it. But um, yeah. throughout that time, I kind of, uh, you know, I, I finished it and I thought it was interesting, but I wouldn't exactly say it was my passion. And I started training in a variety of different things and particularly combat sport and, and just kind of became obsessed with it. I played a variety of different sports as a kid, but that was kind of the thing that really, I suppose, triggered it in that I just became obsessed with training and um, and just the, the whole way that the human body responds to it. So the following year, I signed up and funnily enough, as a mature age student at 21 or something like that, um, yeah. and yeah, and then kicked off my Bachelor of Exercise Science at ACU. Ah, fantastic. So, yeah, so was it the, you mentioned combat sports, what type of training were you doing? Was it like powerlifting based, bodybuilding, weightlift, like Olympic weightlifting? Uh, mate, I did, I did a lot of things, but I, um, I actually had an older brother who started uh, competing in Muay Thai and I uh, liked cool. boxing and, and he kind of said, you know, why don't you come check it out? And so I checked it out and I was 17 at the time and, um, yeah, I ended up doing that for several years. But with him being, uh, you know, fighting competitively, it kind of allowed us to train together and I did various forms of resistance training and we kind of explored different avenues with each other. So that was, you know, over 20 years ago now. So it's um, uh, combat sports come a long way since then. So, but that's how it all Absolutely. started anyway. Yeah, fantastic. So... Was he? Did he have a passion for the strength and conditioning side as well, or were you almost his strength and conditioning coach in a sense? Not, not at all. He was the complete opposite. He was, I suppose, more competitive in the, uh, you know, in the combat side of it. And and from my end, he, you know, he he trains at the moment now as he's gotten older. But at the time, he actually didn't enjoy he didn't enjoy training, but he enjoyed the competing side of it. And I was the reverse. So I, you know, 
dabbled in you know in the gym and stuff like that sparring all the different guys and getting him ready and things and um but for me the competitive side of it wasn't really in my interest i just became obsessed with training so uh, it worked well actually i suppose you could say it was a pretty good brotherhood <laughs> yeah that absolutely. Time. so uh yeah it worked perfect fantastic so then you started the degree uh, at acu and and how did you find that and what was your um, um your first role i guess or first experience as a as an snc yeah, so I loved it. Um, I was, I suppose I, I was fortunate that I didn't just go into that undergraduate degree like a lot of other, uh, you know, recent graduates from school who just kind of fell into it because they liked sport and didn't know what to do with themselves. So for yeah. me, I suppose I had that little bit of advantage because I, I kind of knew that that was what I was really passionate about. And uh, I was really fortunate that I had uh, Darren Burgess as one of my lecturers. And so I was a big, yeah, I was a really big pest to him and uh, he, funnily enough, he uh, gave me my first opportunity back before the uh, A-League with the Parramatta Power in the former National Soccer League. And yep. from then, it kind of escalated there. I did a couple of seasons with him and one thing led to another and all the work experience or work placements that I volunteered my time, they ended up giving me, um, you know, that's how I ended up getting paid gigs in the long run, So, and which, which actually ended up into my first full-time S&C role. Yeah, fantastic. It's a um, well, I was the same. I started my degree later on um, as a mature age, and I, I did find that um, there was a bit of an advantage because you did sort of know what you were doing. Like you're a lot more purpose um, in in spending your time in the degree and, and making those connections and relationships with your peers, opposed to yeah, when you're straight out of high school, it, it's it, you know you're just sort of there for whatever reasons, have a bit of fun, uh, which is important yeah. too. But um, yeah. I think that the travel side. Is, is a good thing to do after high school if that's something you're interested in uh, for young S&Cs out there or, or for those looking to get into the industry. Um, yeah. It seems to be a common trait amongst guys that I'm interviewing as well that get some experience, whether it be in personal training first or um, for yourself, or was training yourself and your brother um, before going into the sports science. So yeah, there's many different routes you can get there, isn't it? Yeah, there is exactly, mate. And I couldn't agree with you more because for me, I, I throughout, funnily enough, back then you – even if you graduated with a, a uni degree, you weren't actually deemed to be qualified to do personal training. So the way it worked in New South Wales was that in the holidays for, you know, in between semesters, I actually did a Cert 3, Cert 4 in fitness and personal training in the, in the uni holidays. And uh, it was really weird back then because that allowed me to legally work as a personal trainer with insurance, so to speak. But even if I had a degree, I actually couldn't. So that changed yeah, okay. a few years. Yeah, it changed a few years after, and um, you know, a lot, I know a lot of the universities rallied together to get that changed, and it eventually did. So for me, I was just really fortunate that I, I suppose, started on the front foot. Um, and being a personal trainer was unreal while I was at uni because it just suited the hours and everything like that. It was it was amazing. So. Um, yeah, I couldn't recommend it highly enough. Even now, like people become obsessed with, you know, I want to be a strength and conditioning coach, and for me. I genuinely did as well, but the personal training route was was a really cool journey because I think I ended up doing it for about five years or something, you know, throughout it until I ended up getting a full time gig too. So, yeah, yeah, fantastic. And and how did you find the the A League? What was your role um, at the club? And yeah, how, what was sort of the um, the demands of of the job? Yeah, so um, before the A League started, it was called the NSL, the National Soccer League, and basically I was. 
Virgil's marker picker upper. <laughs> um, I think the uh, all the athletes in the team, the guys who are even my age, used to call me the apprentice, and uh, <laughs> I just hang off his pocket basically, and um, yeah, you know, do all the things that he didn't want to do. But for me, it was just a an unreal opportunity to. I suppose a lot of the the, my, the biggest lessons I actually learned uh, were early in the fact that it really showed me and proves to me that it doesn't matter how much literature you read and what the science uh, says, but in the real world, so to speak, that, um, you know, it may not necessarily work out that way and, and this is how it actually happens in the real world. So uh, yeah. for me, that was a really invaluable thing and, and it's just something that I took on board. So, And was it just you two as part of the high-performance sort of um Team. Yeah, basically, mate. Like even even back then, they didn't even have GPS. Like um, Virgil would be, you know, tracking, and I would be doing it too. With him, I'd be filming at times, and and he would be on there. You know, he finished his sessions, and he had this trackpad that he used to have a pen and track every players that would, yeah, supposedly kind of measure their speeds and distances and all these sort of things. Like it was a different world, and. Uh, we were real, it was really cool because there was another uh, mate of mine whose name's Adam Waterson, who's over with LA Galaxy now, um, and he was with the Western Sydney Wanderers for a while in the A-League as well, and he and I were both uni students, so we were kind of just, you know, shoulder to shoulder at times, I suppose, turning up to whatever sessions worked around our uni timetable, and, and that was it. So, um, yeah, it was good. So I did two seasons with him doing that, and then um, throughout that, he ended up investing in me and I suppose giving me the opportunity to look after the youth team so um, that was my opportunity I suppose um, double with how I would apply my craft and stuff like that and um, yeah I was really really fortunate for it because throughout that time I was still essentially working with him and so if ever I was stuck in a rut then uh, it was an opportunity for him to um, I suppose help me out of it and, um, yeah, and get me on my way so. Fantastic. How did you go about um, getting that experience? Like for those SNCs that are still studying and they may have a lecturer that's in the industry um, that they want to get work experience with or, or someone they know that's in the industry, like Darren was yeah. for you. Did, did you approach him um, after a class one time to take a bit of yeah, assistance yeah. To, get, to get the opportunity? Yeah, yeah so um, I... I suppose because I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And Matt, I was, I'll, I'll acknowledge it. He even says it in my latest book too, um, given that he wrote the foreword for it. And <laughs> I was that annoying guy basically who uh, knew what I wanted to do. It was just basically a pest, pestering him at every moment just to, I suppose for me, it was just a learning thing and understanding why and, and how we go about it. And one day I just said to him, can I come and, and watch a session or whatnot? And, and he was more than happy. Back in those days, it was kind of, uh, I sound really old saying back in those days, but it, uh, it, it was one of those things where uh, interning and stuff like that was few and far between. People just didn't do it. They kind of were like, oh, what are you trying to, are you trying to steal my ideas or whatever? But Burjo right. was kind of uh, egoless enough to say, oh, mate, come down and watch me do my thing or whatnot. So um, I just asked around to, and, and even other sports as well, um, similar thing. I think too often these days, uh, graduates are doing things like taking up post-grad. Like there's, there's so many students now po who end up graduating from university with post-grad qualifications who actually, aside from their uni placement, have never actually invested the time and, and volunteered mm. their time. So um, I know this because I've, I've interviewed a lot for a lot of internships in the various roles that I've had and I, 
I've, I've screened through hundreds of applications and uh, a lot of those applications are individuals who, you know, they're still pouring beers at a pub and stuff like that, but yet they come out with PhDs and stuff like that. And I kind of just feel like it's, it's probably a big thing that's letting our industry down in that everyone's kind of trying to sell a master's degree other, other than actually letting people get in there and apply their craft. So um, it's just something that I feel that the industry has trended towards and, for me, I, I volunteered my time early days. So, um, yeah, and, that's, and, and I can honestly say that every opportunity that I volunteered my time did yeah. result in some form of employment down the track. So um, yeah, I can't recommend that enough. And, and it wasn't anything to do. Like I still did my crack hours and things like that, but that was never where I actually ended up getting my employment. It was because I was proactive in seeking those opportunities. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah fantastic. And, um so too often you can wear yourself too thin and, and say yes to everything and then not do one of them very well. Um, how did you approach when you got, when Darren said, yeah, come down and shadow me, how did that then eventuate to a, a role where he said, oh, he, like, he, it sounds like he's progressed you twice with having a role in the club and then two years later he gave you the, the um, development program to run yourself. Um, yeah. So how many hours a week were you putting in in that program and, yeah, I, to be honest, I probably wouldn't be able to quantify it. Back then, it was probably, it didn't say, it wouldn't seem that much. Like it might have been anywhere up to 10 hours. So, um, because it was simply around uni. So, it was kind of, he was good about it. He was just like, you know, come down to whenever you want to come down. And he never once, there was never that commitment as far as, oh, you need to be here at X and Y. Every week, I just hustle him and say, you know, what day's training this week? Where's it at? And okay, I can make it this morning. I can't make it or whatever. And, and that was literally how it rolled for the two years. So um, I think for me, a lot of people try and uh, dabble around and jump ship because they, they feel like it's going to give them some form of employment. Um, yeah. But for me, you know, without fanboying too much, like I was just stoked that I was able to see someone apply their craft and, and do it in a professional setting. Like I wasn't actually from a football background. Um, but to see how it actually worked in the, at that stage, so-called in the big league in, in football in Australia, I, I was just in awe of it. So I, I just wanted more of it. So um, I didn't want to go around and, you know, work with different things here or there and shift around to see if it could give me a job. I was more just about, well, this is brilliant. I just want to learn more of it. So Yeah, fantastic. Awesome. And it put you in good stead. So, um, so, that, yeah. so that got you in a taste into the industry. Um, what was the next step for you after yeah, so um, like I said, I ended up doing some youth things and then the youth coach from that team actually ended up moving on and then uh, a about, I think maybe it was literally uh, one season in between, uh, he was coaching it in another club and he said, do you want to come and, and be the S&C? So um, I jumped at that. That was two afternoons a week and then uh, did that for a season and then throughout that time, because it was only two afternoons a week, but that was my first paid S&C role, you know, as it stood. So um, I tried to reach out into – I'm from a tennis background, so um, I had a few tennis connections to try and get the ball rolling there as well. And so it ended up being that I did a couple of afternoons with a football team, a couple of afternoons with, a tennis, with tennis New South Wales. Um, and then from there, it actually ironically – um, fast forward a few years, then Westfield Sports High, where I got my first full-time uh, gig, was looking for an S&C coach. And the coach who I worked with actually hit uh, Burjo up and said, do you know anyone? And he said, yeah, Nate's, you know, he's, he's available. And, oh, straight away, boom, yeah, give him a run. So he, 
they gave me a call and went through the interview process and that was where how I jagged my first full-time role. So that's why I kind of can't stress enough how important the impacts that you have on people and the, and the relationships that you have along the way that it's such a small world that people kind of, uh, it's all about windows of opportunity and, and when those windows, windows of opportunity present themselves and, uh, you know, if you do a good job and, and you're kind of in good stead, then people will, um, they reach out to you and that's how it all flows. So, yeah. 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 Fantastic. So Darren clearly was, was, uh, pivotal in your, in your journey where there are other guys that are top of mind that have helped you along, along the way, whether it be mentors or, or, um, just guys that have helped you, uh, during degree work experience, uh, or even just helped out your programs yourself. Yeah. So uh, to be honest, I can't name, like there's too many names who have actually, uh, you know, had an impact on, on my career and as an individual, like I, yeah. I kind of uh, went through a stage where every year I liked having uh, a mentor in different facets of my life. So um, whether it be a, a mentor for, I suppose, life and then a mentor, an S&C mentor and things like that. So um, I try to reach out for these to these different aspects of my life for people who I essentially thought we're doing a good job <laughs> um, yep. and then they they gave me you know plenty of opportunity you know Brett Bartholomew is one of those guys um, but I suppose from a, a pivotal moment in my career um, I can't thank Lockie Wilmot enough um, because he was the one who actually gave me my uh, first full-time professional gig um, at Parramatta Eels and uh, it kind of all stemmed from there and he was um, yeah he was he was unreal to me once again i was that annoying dude asking really dumb questions and um but uh, for me yeah, that's just something that i've always done man i'm not afraid to do it and um it's just how i learn so uh he played a pivotal role in, in me kind of getting a crack at the i suppose in the big league um from yeah. there. so i can't thank him enough as well um and then also simon harry's who uh ended up getting me through you know with the aussie women seven so it was i had a pretty quick ride uh towards the back end of it and then for me, I felt like uh, there was a lot of guys who ended up getting gigs in the professional ranks and things like that who I suppose I felt like I was getting too old for it um, and I'd missed out on a lot of opportunities. And uh, from there, you know, I suppose I, I was like a late bloomer in those opportunities and I suppose it's led me to where I am now. Like I just, I just had a lot of opportunities and people looking out for me, so I'm really grateful for it. Yeah, fantastic. So what was your role with, with Lachlan? Was that when he started managing the program we- yeah so um from there i actually looked after the under 20s uh team with paramount yep. deals and then yeah, uh Lockie had come over from afl and given that he was from an afl background and uh, not necessarily from a league background it was a uh, it was it was one of those things where I'd, i actually went to gws it was maybe a few years before that uh with joycey and him and, and spent a week there in there it wasn't a, I, don't, I can't remember what they called it, but uh, I spent a week in there anyway. And then um, from there, we just became mates and we're still good mates to this day. So uh, as soon as the opportunity came up, given that I'd worked, uh, I did the under-20s at the same club and then I'd spent yeah. six seasons at the North Sydney Bears. Uh, it just seemed like a good fit. So, um, yeah, I jumped at it. And some people would say I was crazy, mate, to walk away from the gig that I was in uh, at Newington College. But uh, oh, it was... 
one of those things, mate, that I was all in. So um, call me obsessive compulsive or call me intense, but I just knew that if there was an opportunity to learn a little bit more, then uh, I felt like managing a team at Newington, I'd, I'd done a pretty good job. Like those guys moved on to, to bigger and better things. And, and for me, I just wanted to get on the tools again and I suppose hone my craft. And that was where I was just a pest to Lockie. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And, and what yeah. was the role uh, with Lockie? What? Yeah, so it just started. It started out as the conditioning coach. Um, yep. So when I did the under twenties, I, I was uh, essentially doing everything. Uh, I yep. had another great coach who I was fortunate enough to, um, you know, essentially come side by side with me in Elliot Taylor. And yep. for me, in going to the NRL squad, I started out looking after the conditioning, um, and then throughout the season, there was a few role changes and shuffles, and I ended up being involved with the rehabilitation space. So for me, it was. It was Every opportunity that presented itself, I kind of, I just, I, I, tr- I tried to look at it as a, as a positive in that I wanted to. It's just another area for me to learn. So, um, the rehab space is an intricate space in that I, that once again that I didn't have extensive experience in, in which I'm, I'm openly uh, prepared to admit. But man, those, you know, those six months that I was there, geez, I learned so much. You know, taking on that role as well. So, um, something that, yeah, once again, I, it kind of. It actually led me into my, my seventh role with uh, Simon Harris, and uh, he's an absolute, not only such a top bloke, but he's a phenomenal practitioner. And mate, I was just in awe of him as well and just how knowledgeable the guy is. And um, once again, just picked his brain of how I could hone my craft and uh, and that's where it ended up, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. It'd be a great um, sport to, to work on in terms of the conditioning side, I imagine, the, the sevens. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, it was. And then coming from rugby league, it was. Um, yeah, the, just the running aspect of it was was very different. Um, yeah. And then the thing that I actually really enjoyed was working with uh, uh, with the female athletes in it because I was fortunate that I'd already worked um, at Westfield Sports High. It was a co-ed school, yeah. um, and for me, I I generally love training females because I, I believe that. Uh, their minds do work differently when it comes to the, the whole training aspect and understanding why they want to do things. And uh, for me, I'm, you know, I'm not afraid to to say that because uh, that's why I actually enjoyed my time there more than anything. So um, that was really, really great, and I was really fortunate there too. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, all the different experiences, whether it be from different genders or just different sports, they just um, make you more of a well-rounded coach, don't they? They're- so and yeah, exactly to conditioning right. yeah. to, to gym. Um, yeah. So the more the more you can dabble yourself, even if you haven't got experience before it, like you said, just sort of dive in and go all in and you're going to grow from it. Yeah, and that's where I think that you, you know, as a coach, it's it's one of those things. That I think the best way to learn is to go all in. Um, and if you're ever in a role or given an opportunity where you can really, the, the difference between, say, when I was at Newington College was that I was, essentially a manager and it got so big to the point where I wasn't actually doing any programming, but I was more trying to build the skill set of the coaches who I was fortunate enough to work with there. And, yeah. and by that stage, I was like, yeah, like I said previously, I, you know, I wanted to kind of get back on the tools. So to allow me to not have to worry about anyone else, but seriously just stay in my lane and just do one job. Mm. Uh, that's a, a phenomenal way to really hone your craft. So. Yeah, fantastic. And so then you decided to become an author, mate. How did that come about? <laughs> uh, I suppose it was one of those things that, you know, people talk about bucket list things. And, and to be honest, it was, um, it was, a, it was a distant thing. 
Um, and just how the I think it's just a really good opportunity to show that you've you've got to kind of pivot, and particularly in the times that we've had in the last eighteen months with COVID and everything like that. I um when so at the time Rugby Australia stood down like seventy five percent of their staff or whatnot, uh, me wow. included, and. At the time, I thought, man, to be honest, if I was going to be staying at home uh, with my partner who literally was about to have a kid, then I was thinking, how am I even going to stay sane in doing this? And I thought, well, literally it was from day one on the Monday. I was like, nah, I've I've been talking about this. In my head, I hadn't actually verbalized it to to too many people, if if at all. Um, And I thought, well, now you've got a good six months where you don't know what's coming around the corner. So let's bunker in and do it. And sure enough, it took me from, I think it was from March until October, I pumped out the whole manuscript and um, wow. and then it's been an editing process ever since. So, um, yeah, it was one of those things that you, um, over the 17 years of working in the field, I'd, I'd just been asked and anyone who has worked in the youth space would resonate with this in that, you get asked the same questions over and over and over and nothing changed from 2003 from when I was doing it through to 2020 at the time. I was still getting asked the same questions from friends and family members and things like that. And I thought there's no actual real resource out there that is just re- like just keeps it real and explains how it all works from the development space all the way through into professional sport. But more importantly, just the benefits of sport and being physically capable to engage in sport can actually deliver in the real world. Mm. So, yeah, that's that's basically how it all came about. Awesome. Yeah, that's fantastic, mate. Congratulations. It's no easy task. Thanks, yeah, and um, it's hot off the print too, mate. <laughs> yeah, it's looking good. I love the print. It's People a decent are... read. Yeah. <laughs> so that's hot, hot off the press. Oh, good stuff, yeah. man. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. My well done. Was two, so I'll have to get the manual. Yeah, that's it. So, yeah, mate, it's 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 just yeah, been an unreal ride. And there's been so many people who uh, – it's funny because you go through these, you do something like this and you think it's going to be an easy task. And never once did I think that it was going to be super easy and I'd dust my hands off it because I'd already spoken to guys like Brett Bartholomew. I'd spoken to Ron McKeithery, David Joyce about their experiences in writing a book and, and they all told me it's – it's pretty hard work, and uh, so in doing it, like I'm, I'm glad that I finally got there. But man, there's been some head noise along the way, and there's been so many people who I can't thank enough who have kind of reached out along the way, and I've got and just responded to me. And it's just a, it's really really cool how people who I don't even know who have reached out and said, "Oh man, I love the concept of it," or you've just you've just done so well with how you you know you're going about it, and. and I'm just blessed that those guys have actually reached out because genuinely I felt at times that I wasn't going to get there in the end. And um, yeah, sure. and then and by having that reinforcement and encouragement from people who take the time who you don't even know has been – it's just been phenomenal, man. I can't thank those guys enough. And where can people um, buy the book for those that are watching or listening? Yeah, yeah. So um, if they subscribe to the Sporting Parent, then you'll get three free chapters um, at the start of it, which will give you some really good insights into how the book, uh, the layout of the book, and and the format of it, and how it evolves. Um, so I wanted to do that so that people could get some insight to it. So if they subscribe to the SportingParent dot com, uh, you'll get that automatically. And then on Monday, the 21st of June is when it launches. So there's a pre-sale that's going to kick off next week. And then Monday, the 21st of June, it's all systems go. Fantastic. Oh, that's exciting, mate. 
Yeah, looking forward to it. And uh, those questions that you reference, I'm, I'm intrigued from you know the same questions that that sort of stirred on the inspiration to write the book. What what yeah. what, what were some of those questions? I guess three of them maybe that um yeah yeah parents, absolutely parents yeah. were asking yeah yeah. Uh, so one of them is was simply just how much is like how much is too much training for my kid. Uh, supplements are a big thing too. So, you know, should my son be taking supplements? And if so, at what age? The resistance training one is a huge one. Um, a variety of different factors, whether or not it be for boys, you know, the whole thing of stunting their growth and whatnot, which we all know is, you know, absolute fallacy. Um, so to, to clear the air with that and then also to, I suppose, to empower female athletes coming through, letting them know that, um, you know, there's so much things to do with body image and everything like that these days that uh, I really wanted to cater the book to the female market as well. And I was really yeah. conscious of that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so they're, they're the topics that just continually come up time and time again. And then uh, we just kind of, I suppose, one of the big things for parents that we can't blame them. And that's why I've actually called it the sporting parent because no, even when people use the terms sporting parent in a negative connotational way it, it i don't think any parent really goes out there with that objective they're trying they're genuinely trying their best whether that's misguided or not um but they don't know any better uh, and in a lot of instances a lot of parents feel like going down that route of specialized training and and overloading their kids schedule with booking them in here booking them in there they kind of feel like they are doing the right thing by their kids, which, For sure. um, and, and, you know, there's a variety of different ways to go about it. But what I wanted to present in the book is that, you know, this might not be the way. And, um, with all these advancements in technology, sports science and coaching roles, and how are we still getting it so wrong that the youth of today are still underprepared to participate in sport? Their lower body power scores are far worse than they've ever been. ACL injuries increased like 148% from 2005 to 2015 in 10 yeah. to 14-year-olds. So how yeah. can we – why are we still getting this so wrong? Um, so that was basically it. It was just like, boom, it's a one-stop shop. So, um, yeah, that's – that's yeah, in a nutshell, I suppose. Yeah, that's it's super exciting, mate. Um, yeah, I'll definitely be – um, subscribing and reading those the three chapters and then buying the book for, for June 21st. It first caught my eye when I saw um, your testimonial from Darren talking about how he, he did a PhD on the topic when he could have just read yeah. the book or something along those lines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's actually, um, and I put a post up about this at the beginning in that I was, you know, I've known Darren for a long time and, and wherever he's been around the world in different different jobs and stuff, he's always given me the time of day and for me, I kind of reached out and, and honestly, like I didn't actually expect him to have a crack at it and say, yeah, mate, I'd love to do the foreword for you. And then when he wrote it and I received it, I was like, it's actually really cool because for me reading it, I was thinking, you know, there's so many things that he describes in, in me as a personality that I that I fully acknowledge. Um, <laughs> but it was it was humorous at the time of me reading it. But at the same time, I just I couldn't thank him enough for actually taking the time to do it. And, um, yeah, so I'm extremely grateful for that. So. Fantastic. And the role with, with Brisbane, how long have you been in that directing um, role? And, and explain a little bit of the program for those that aren't aware of what the high school is doing. Yeah, so uh, I was fortunate enough to end up being uh, coming through with the goods, I suppose, in the interview process at the back end of last year. And it was a bit of a turbulent time to get up here. And I ended up relocating up here with my uh, partner and son in January. 
So we'd started in January and uh, I've got a really cool team of uh, the school's gone about it a very different way. I haven't seen anything, a model like they have because they're an extremely academic school um, and the way that they integrate their uh, performance development into the actual academic day to allow not only uh, the students to continue with that academic success in the way that they've structured their, their day to include it as part of the day so that there's not so much before school and after school training has been really, really cool. Um, I suppose I'd be rude not to give a shout out to the guys that I work with, Adam Block, who was the one who's um, given me the opportunity there, which I'm extremely grateful for. Um, and the other teams of coaches who I have in Rep Cope and Grant Cole, uh, Cat Pace, Jordan Manning, where we're all one big team in that we, we have different roles to play and, um, and it, it's a different space uh, in that we're actually allowed to apply our craft. But um, in, a, in a different, it, it, it's such a different way that they've done it that the former three schools I've been at haven't done it that way. So uh, it's exciting times for me. So, so is that, is that it? yeah, like you mentioned, not um, doing it like 6am and before school and then lunchtime and after school, they're doing it as part of the PE curriculum, is it? Or Yeah, yeah. So what it is is that um, basically in public school, in the public schooling system, like say when I was at Westfield Sports High, a lot of that stuff would be done during the day, but there'd be little, if anything, done before school and after school. They're all doing their club stuff um, and in the private schools, it's usually all before school and all after schools, uh, all after school, sorry. And then here what they've actually done is they've made it so that uh, in year 11 and 12, it's a, uh, it's a very much a multi-sport approach in that uh, they, they opt in for what they call, that is would be part of like say the PDHPA thing in order to keep them active in that it's, they either opt for a like a, a multi-sport option uh, or they opt for what they call a performance development option. So what you'd have is you might have, um, let's call it rugby union and basketball guys, if it's in the same season, they would be all doing the conditioning together. They might be doing speed oh, cool. training together and things like that. So you have you know, students who could be from up to anywhere from, say, three sports, four sports, all in one doing it together as part of a double period, so two 45-minute sessions uh, once a week in it. Um, and so that's for year 11s and year 12, so they're on two days. And then it just frees up the skills training, so to speak, to, um, to be you know, a little bit more so that, so that can be in the gym as well even. So to give you an example, what my day looks like tomorrow is the first 45 minutes is the rugby guys will be doing uh, strength training with me in the gym and then the next 45 minutes I'll be out on the field doing conditioning stuff. So it just allows that uh, for the rugby training, so to speak, it's literally skills training a couple of times a week and then they're done. So yeah, right. um, it's, it's, a, it's a cool model because uh, it just does free up, you know, a couple of afternoons or a couple of mornings for the students to really try and hone their craft. And, you know, students have so many things going on in these schools that, uh, even on Friday evening, I went to a, a drama performance, which was phenomenal. And then half the guys on the stage are, you know, they're football players, rugby players and things yeah, like right. that. And just like, it's crazy the commitments that the, that the students have. So to in order to free that time up, it, it's a really cool model and something that I think that more schools should adopt for sure. Where has it come from? Is it from another 
country. They created America, it, no? They cre- yeah. No, no. Um, I suppose the the biggest strength for it is that the PDHPE guys really supported it um, in that they know that, you know, um, the the physical activity side of things can enhance academic performance as well. Um, so they're all on board with it and the whole, you know, game sense approach and things like that in the PDHPE curriculum, they were all for the multi-sport games. Um, and so there's they've allowed that to happen, which is very unusual in schools. And, and the reason why I'm singing the praises for it is because it is heavily an academic school and, and it shows that by them allowing them to engage in these activities during the schooling day um, mm. and, and still have such success, it, it, it's, it's great. And that's why I think that we shouldn't look at physical activity as a, I suppose, as a barrier or a hurdle to academic performance from a time perspective, but, really encouraging it, knowing that it's going to assist in the academic day for students throughout it. So it's a model that they've come up with, and I know Adam Block played a, a massive role in that, and, and it's something that, uh, like I said, I, I'm, I'm still kind of trying to get my head around it, being new in the role, but at the same time, it's, it's just something that it, it's, it's very different to any of the other schools I've been at. Yeah, it's awesome. It's great to hear. It, it sounds really holistic, and they're developing well-rounded people. Well, we went around yeah. the humans for, for life, which is pretty cool. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Um, and all, all your, um, your cohort, your team, are they all strength and conditioning coaches? Are they PE teachers? What, what sort of the... Yeah, so, the, um, so we've all got our own little roles, I suppose you'd say. So um, that's uh, Adam and myself are full-time and then the other guys are part-time. So, um, but what we've done is channel it in a way and, and stick to their strengths as well when... Uh, so there's an assistant with myself in Rhett Cope, who's an outstanding uh, coach, and he and I are both in the gym looking after the different sports and the general user sessions. And then uh, Grant Cole looks after, you would say, year seven through to year 10. Um, so for those, you know, you're talking high school, obviously. Um, and But they're, they're, that's his baby, so he does a programming for that. And then that would transition into year 11 and 12 with Rhett and myself. Yeah. Um, and then there's the two other roles. Uh, one's a rehabilitation role, and the other one's more a, a data management role. So uh, oh, there's wow. plenty of moving. Yeah, there's plenty of moving parts to it. Um, and I suppose, you know, like I said, I, I'm really fortunate that uh, we've, we've. I'm in an environment where people are allowed to uh, just, when I say stay in their lane, just hone their craft in that space, mm. whether it be rehab, data analytics, whatever. Um, to, to be able to do that is, is really, really cool. So, yeah. And what sort of data um, are you guys looking at? Uh, at the moment, it's still very much in its infancy. Um, so what they're like, they've got a, a Monday, I'll give you an example, like a, a Monday morning uh, triage for the sports that are, that are in season. Um, yeah. So they just go through like a, I suppose, a general wellness thing that normal professional teams would go through, but it's a little bit more catered towards a schoolboy level. Um, yep. But it just allows the guys to, uh, while they're being monitored and tracked, it just allows them to continue to um, be consistent in their training and not opt out for different reasons. And, um, you know, to, to link that with the rehabilitation role, um, there's no avenues, I suppose, for, uh, or there's, there's a lot less avenues for guys to uh, try and get out of participating in sport and stuff like that. Because, you know, there's so many, like I said, there's so many, things from club sport to whatever um mm. but the beauty that of having cat pace in there who's in charge of the rehab and she works very tightly with jordan manning who then um they end up chasing the students up and things like that so to give you an example like 
schools I've been at before, you know, a student might have flagged a calf injury or a knock or something. Um, but by the time you, it's such an arduous process that by the time you actually track down the student, track down the injury, communicate with the physio, you know, three weeks can go by. And then all of a sudden, the next time you see them, they're running around out on a Saturday and you're just like, yeah. hang on yeah. a second, did anyone clear this? Like, what, why is he out there on the field? So uh, it's quite tight in that way that there's, uh, everyone knows that their role and, and the students know that as well. So then that way, um, you know, there's a lot less that fall through the cracks in that way. So, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. It actually reminds me a lot of a, of, a, of an elite sporting club in the sense that things are done, like you have your meetings, which would be like their classes, and then you've got set like gym times, condition times, skill to, you know, so it's quite well the quality rather than just doing things for two hours. I imagine the quality would be a lot higher and attention to detail, concentration, all that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, and and don't get me wrong, like I, I am fully uh, cognizant of the fact that we do have the resources to do it, but by no means are we trying to replicate a professional sporting scenario in uh, with schoolboys. It's just more a matter of us having the, the opportunity, I suppose, to uh, just to stay on top of it and allow people to stay in those, those roles. That it, just, it just makes it so much more easier as opposed to being – uh, most schools will have like a an SNC director like myself or whatnot, and and it's really the buck stops at you, and and you're just not as productive because you're forever chasing up different things along the way. So for, sure. uh, for me, it just really allows me to to hone my craft once again, and you know, program for the first fifteen rugby guys and things like that. Um, so yeah, it, it's a really cool model. Like I said, it, it's still very much in its infancy, and and hopefully we can evolve it into something that that will be, you know, something that other, other people and other schools look at. No doubt. Awesome, mate. Well, we'll start to wrap it up. Thanks so much for jumping on. Uh, what no are you worries. excited about for, for 2021? What's on the horizon for you? I, I can have a guess. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah mate, uh, I don't think you, you need to guess at that, but the book <laughs> has spent a lot of time for me. Um, I've had a lot of people reach out with it, which has been really, really cool. So um, I suppose it'll just be the whole roadshow, really, of, uh, of getting it on the road and, and making it work. Yeah, fantastic, mate. Thank you so much. Well, appreciate your time and uh, sharing your experiences and your journey um, throughout from the start to, to now, mate. It's been uh, massively valuable for myself and I'm sure for, for all those that are tuned in. No worries. Thank you very much for, for the offer and being on here. Yeah, wrapped to be here and I really appreciate the guys who have tuned on and stayed on here for that matter too. I know that you've had them engaged, mate. They've been on the whole time. <laughs> it's been awesome. Legends. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, man. Cheers, bud. Good on you. Bye. That's right. Thanks for tuning in, guys. If you caught um, us halfway through, this will be on IGTV on my Instagram. So feel free to watch it from the very beginning. We'll also be converting the audio into our podcast in the next coming weeks. So we'll launch it on a Monday. So stay tuned. It'll be on iTunes, Spotify. And if you want to join our community and receive a free four-week strength and conditioning coach uh, program, uh, head over to our Instagram, click the link in our bio where you can receive that free program. And if you want to work with one of our coaches, click that same link and you'll get an AFL Strength and Conditioning Coach to work with. Thanks, guys. 